Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Greg Wallach. He's the president and CEO of Best Roofing. He's also the founder of Follow-Up CRM. Best Roofing employs over 340 full-time employees. He was named the Commercial Contractor of the Year in 2018 by Roofing Contractor Magazine. He was also the founder of General Roofing Services, who grew out to become the largest roofing contractor business in the U.S. with over 2,800 employees. Greg, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so so you played football, and uh, that must have been great. How, uh, sort of, how did you, uh, did you start fairly young with football? Yeah, I got involved with youth ball. As a kid, my my folks got me, they dropped me off at the park for baseball and football and stuff. So that's how I got started. And I was really fortunate at a very young age to have some great coaches. Mm. So how hard did you work at it? I mean, I, I played other sports. I, it, it's, a, it's a grind. I had, and I'll never forget the, my first coach on a football team. It was the Murphy Candler Colts was the name of the, the team. And uh, Bob Johnson was the was the name of the coach. And I mean, this we were 11 and 12 year old young men. And that's how he treated us. He, he really treated us like young men. And what I remember most about Coach Johnson was he, he used to always say boys. And he, he was he was from Atlanta and he had a real southern accent. He said, boys, you got to pay the price if you want to be a champion. You just got to pay the price. And I mean, when you're 11 or 12 years old, you're like, where's he going with this? What, what, what price? I mean, mom, how much is this going to, you know, we didn't understand it, but he was the guy who really taught me what it took to become a champion. And when you're, when you're young and very impressionable and you're playing sports, there's a lot of life lessons that can just go with you forward after you get off the playing field. So I learned a lot of great life lessons with sports. And then from there, I ended up, we moved to Orlando, Florida, and I excelled in, in high school athletics. I, I was an all-state football player. And then I was just so fortunate to get a, a full scholarship to the University mm-hmm. of Miami. And I got to play yeah. for the Hurricanes and um, actually was team captain my senior year there. And, and then I coached for a couple of years while I went, went through grad school. Wow, that must, uh, that must have been amazing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great program there, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it has been. And, I, and I'm still active with, with the program. I'm actually the chairman of the board of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes there. And I, I help sponsor a, a team chaplain for the Hurricanes. So That's it's, awesome. It, yeah, it's allowed me just to stay close with the team. So, I mean, you went to graduate school. Did you start a company right after or, or what happened there? I went to work with my uh, father right out of school. I ended up getting an MBA. And my dad came down to interview me. He lived up in Jacksonville. He came down to interview me. I didn't know this, but he, he said, son, I'm, I'm, I just started a roofing business. <laughs> I would like to know if you'd like to come with me. Mm-hmm. 
I'm down in Miami, MBA. I'm thinking I'm a pretty hotshot guy. And uh, my dad asked me to go into business with him. And I was 23 years old. And I thought, what the heck? My dad's never had a business before himself. Let me go, go work with him. And, and I worked with him for about eight years and helped him build a really good company in Orlando. And I kind of had my own entrepreneurial desires and he wasn't ready to turn, turn everything over to me. So he helped me get started. And I started a roofing business down in Fort Lauderdale in 1987. And I grew that from a startup in 1987 to the largest roofing contracting company in the country at that time. I ended up having 28 offices and about 3,000 employees, and then uh, left that through some venture capital yeah. people. Yeah. And then got into the business that I'm in today. I mean, was that, was that your vision to grow the biggest? Like, did you come in there going, I'm going to do this? Or did it just kind of like one thing led to another and it, and it grew out? Well, what, what ended up happening is I've been in a Vistage group. I don't know if you know what Vistage is. It's a collection of, of diverse CEOs. And, and I had heard a speaker named Wayne Huizinga, who was the guy who built waste management, blockbuster video, AutoNation. And he had done a roll-up of different industries. And I read his book and I got, had the opportunity, he was a Fort Lauderdale guy, to uh, have lunch with him. And I just kind of said, gosh, nobody's done that in the roofing business. I think I could do that. And I ended up raising $130 million up on Wall Street and was able to start buying companies and rolling up that industry. And I did that, I did that for a couple of years. And then the company and I parted ways as, as sometimes that happens with venture capital people and founders. Venture capital guys and founders sometimes have a rub. We're very visionary. And then these guys are only interested in, in flipping a deal sometimes. So... I left that in uh, 2001 and bought Best Roofing. Yeah. So did you, at any time, did you think of, of moving to a different industry when you said that, you know what, I'm, I've been there, done that, time to move on? Or has it just been naturally just stick with what you, you know and love, it sounds like? Business is business. Mm -hmm. And what happens, sometimes you get a specialized expertise in a, in a particular industry. and that's hard to make up for. Like, I, I really understand the roofing industry. I know the ins and outs of it. I know what works. And I hate to tell you, I know what doesn't work because I try, before you know what works, you got to exhaust what doesn't work. And so it's, it's funny how you find all the things that don't work. <laughs> right. Now I've had the opportunity to, I have another business. I have a software company, mm. but it's in relationship to the specialty contracting world. One of the things that I couldn't find was a workflow automation mm. tool for sales process for, for the specialty contractor. So I ended up building a software program that, and that's a company also that I'm involved with. That's called Follow Up CRM. So I'm very active with that also. Yeah. What, what was the piece that was missing in the existing software? I couldn't find anything that did workflow coordination mm -hmm. that anytime you would have like a team cell where you would have somebody maybe do a survey, somebody do an estimate, somebody actually doing research, somebody doing the uh, proposal. 
there wasn't anything that really coordinated that. And then there wasn't anything that did the analytics the way that I wanted the analytics done. So I ended up building this program with the intention of just using it for my own company. And then a friend saw it and said, hey, I'd I'd like a, a piece of that. And then before I knew it, we've got hundreds of people around the country now using it. That's very cool. Like, I guess that's what they say. Right? Build something for yourself and then scale it out. I guess a lot of companies started that way as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what, what were the sort of key differences between running a software type business and a roofing business? Well, I'll tell you, running a software business is much easier than running a roofing business because you have so many fewer employees and, and it's much easier to scale. Than, than a uh, contracting or a specialty contracting business. The complexity comes when you have people. People are the hardest things to manage compared to an application. Mm. So, I mean, how, what sort of systems or what sort of advice have you taken to, to help manage that? Because the roofing is very labor intensive. Like what, what sort of things have you learned and processes have you implemented? Well, I've had to really hire the right people. And I'm not really a software person. I'm somebody who can say, I have a vision and this is what I want this application to do. And then I need people around me that can take that concept and code it and then make it so that it's workable, usable. And then also somebody who understands how to take something to market because Going to market as a contractor is completely different than, mm. than going to market in the software world. Mm. How do you go to market in the, the roofing world? Well, there are so many ways to be a roofing contractor and mm. so, many, so many niche markets that you can be in. As you know, you could, you could be in the coding world. You could, there's new construction kind of work. There's residential work. There's commercial work. There's repairs and maintenance. So, you know, you got to you got to just pick which horse you want to ride. And then and what I found is it's really hard to be all things to all people. So I've always said the riches are in the niches. Find yourself a niche that you can that you can follow and 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 then just stay in your lane, stay focused on that. And then if you want to expand, maybe you carve that off into a different a different division or a different focus. That's cool. Is, is yours sort of one division or is it separated? What's the core focus of your, your current organization? Well, the roofing business that we have right now, we have a construction division, which does large projects. And that'll do anywhere from 150 to 200 projects a year, depending on the size of, of those projects. Average size right now might be around $330,000 for those. So that's the construction division. Then we have a service division, which is really more small jobs, maintenance, repairs, fixing roofs and making roofs last longer. And we'll do around 7,000 transactions in that. So a lot of small little jobs, but the thought process being that every small roof opportunity eventually leads to a big opportunity because roofs never get better with time. They only get worse as they age. So we build relationships with people who have aging roofs and then eventually they get replaced and, and the process of that will hopefully get invited to that event. 
Mm. And then we have a sheet metal fabrication business also that we just recently have launched where we had our own sheet metal fabrication equipment and we were servicing just best roofing, but that we have the capability of servicing other contractors. And, and only maybe one out of every 20 roofing contractors actually have their own sheet metal shop. So sheet metal flashing is just one of those little niches that there's an opportunity out there for fabricating for other people. Yeah, just going back to when you were rolling up your various companies, what did you learn there as you were sort of acquiring companies and and pulling them into sort of a core brand? Boy, that's I could talk talk about that. <laughs> I mean, really do your due diligence, understand what you're buying. Like let me give you a for instance. Yeah, yeah. I bought a company that that had done had 2 years of just unbelievable performance just performance like nobody i mean world class i mean we went in there and when we were buying companies at that time at a multiple times earnings yeah it would be your earnings before interest and uh, taxes even and and then we would give a multiple times that well this company i mean it had its ebit was twice what everybody else was and we just felt like oh my gosh this company we could all learn something from that Well, what we ended up learning was this company was following a class action lawsuit that was replacing roofs all over the country because of a product failure. Now, when that class action lawsuit was over and that work dried up, all of a sudden that company went from being like the star and to being like, you know, less than average. So we didn't dig deep enough into our due diligence and they were, the way they did their contracts didn't let us know Um, what the secret sauce was. So we really overpaid for for that company. So that's just one of many. What what about any uh, hidden gems? Like you brought it in at a a multiple that was lower and then, yeah. Well, you know, I ended up buying a company in Yonkers, New York that was run by just an unbelievable entrepreneur guy, Rich Nugent's his name. Yeah. And um, Rich Rich was like a, a $10 million company. And I mean, yeah. he dumped his sales in about two years. And he, he later, later on, he ended up becoming, this is the kind of character he was, yeah. president of the National Trade Association. And, and, and then he ended up spinning off from, from our company that we had had and, and has since grown another great national company. So, you know, there were some wins and there were some losses. Yeah. So, I mean, why were you able to get such a good deal? Was it just, he just didn't know what he had? He was just coming up on the upswing? What, what was the key factor? We caught him at a good time. He had a brother who wanted to get out of the business. And this was a way for an exit strategy for his brother to get paid. And Rich was just a really sharp guy that just all he needed was a platform and an idea. And he was able to run with it. Mm, so you were able to sort of augment what he was already doing, maybe could have uh, leverage that and kind of grow that out. Yeah. Yeah. But I gave him a lot of credit for that. Yeah. It was all him. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, what other things, I mean, was it easy sort of pulling these different cultures together and making it all work or were they kind of separate or did that matter? Well, you have to ask yourself when somebody decides to sell their company, what's the reason for the sale? Is it because they wanted an exit strategy 
or is it because they see something that could be bigger than what they are and they want to just be part of it? So I used to say, are you buying in or are you selling out? (laughs) So that's good to know because if somebody's selling out, then what you have to do is have some sort of succession planning and saying, okay, who's going to actually take your place? So it's important to know that when you're getting ready to buy somebody. Yeah, for sure. Now, I mean, with your organization, what do you feel like the future looks like there? Like, what, what's your vision? Like, you have this software company, you have your roofing company. What, what, how is it all going to come together? Well, it's been coming together for, for the last 20 years for me. Yeah. I've had this company for 20 years. And I just continue to take advantages of opportunities as people come into my life and are willing to accept responsibility. And so for me, I've just grown with people. And as people have come in and as we cast a vision, we grow. We, we have about 300 employees now in our contracting business, which is a pretty good sized business for just the, the South Florida market. We're one, one of the larger contractors that you would run into. And I don't have any really aspirations at this stage of my life to have offices outside of uh, the South Florida market. I love being able to go home at night and know where I wake up the next morning and know what town I'm in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know you do a lot of speaking. Is that something you're going to do more of? No, no, not really. I mean, occasionally if I get asked to speak at a convention or something, I'm happy to just share some of the things. But I mean, it's not something that, that I'm looking to do yeah. as a profession or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, when someone that's sort of brand new to the, the, the industry comes up to you and asks you for the, your sort of feedback or mentorship, what, what sort of advice do you give someone like that? I love, I love the opportunity to, to help somebody. I mean, there were so many people who helped me along the way that I give, give them some time. I'm asked quite often when I'm at a show or something, a lot of questions or after I've spoken, I'll bring people in. I'll I'll say, look, the best way to understand is come down here and shadow, shadow me and shadow my people for a day. So I've done that quite a bit. And then I, I just find out specifically, how can I help you? What would you like to know? I probably could start a consulting business if I wanted, but I have too much fun just actually really being in the game myself. Yeah, what do you, what do you like most uh, about the, the game? Watching people grow, mm-hmm. developing people, seeing teams come together. Just it, It's one thing to win by yourself, but it's a whole other thing to win with other people around you. And that's where, that's where the real joy comes for me, is just being able to watch others achieve their goals and objectives. Awesome. Do you, do you do anything particular to help people grow or did you learn from anything particular? I mean, obviously you came from a sports background, so it's all, there's all a bunch of systems for that, but is there anything you draw from in terms of helping people grow proactively? Well, we have at Best Roofing, we have four people that are in learning and development. Oh, okay. So we have a, a, a very aggressive program to capitalize on people who want to grow. So we've created a curriculum called Best Roofing University. And what we've done is we've identified in the different departments. And I told you, we we have really three different departments, the the large job department, the small job department, and then the sheet metal. And what we've done is we've mapped out steps in the process. So 
from the time that a an opportunity comes in until it, it's processed through the organization, we have it divided up into steps. And then depending on where somebody fits into the food chain, we'll, we have those steps really well defined. And then we have them in a platform that allows an e-learn. It's like an e-learning platform that somebody can log in. They can take what we call a competency test at the end of that so that we ensure that they have an idea of what they were learning. And then we do some professional development. We've aligned ourselves with a professional training organization called Fred Pryor. And we, we have 24 people in the company that we look at as the future generation of people and we're investing in them and getting them training. And we, we have them take four days off, full day seminars on concepts like if your time management is one of the real popular ones, oh, yeah. one, how to be a, a, a more effective time manager, going from being a supervisor to a manager. That's a, a curriculum that we that's pretty popular too. Very cool. You said e-learning. So that, are there videos or text or what, what is that experience like? We did have text and then the, the competency test and we did have the video. But here's what, here's what we learned about yeah. our own best roofing university is yeah. processes and concepts wiggle. Mm. And doing video productions, we started out doing a video production with every step along the way. But then when that process would wiggle or something would change, it's easy to go ahead and make a few changes on a, uh, in the written word. But then you have to, and really to do a video production, it's got to be thought out and it's got to be scripted and it's got to be produced well. And what we found was it was just too hard to keep up with the video. And so we, we abandoned that because it just, the videos were, were like date stamped and time sensitive and things would change. So that was a lesson that we learned. Mm. So you mentioned time management is a big one. Well, obviously to run a big organization and, and do it well, you have to apply very good principles. What sort of time management principles do you pull on? What you start, you finish. Mm. Now, if I pick it up, I don't set it down until it's done. Learning, learning how to say no to something. It's really easy to just get burdened. Somebody comes up and asks you a question and, and you say, oh, you know, I'll take that or I'll help you with that. It's just prioritizing your time. I live by my calendar and just like my meeting with you, I knew I had a, a two o'clock appointment. I really love to work by appointments and be able to just kind of block out everything else and focus on the task at hand. So touch it once, have a good, a good strong calendar, be a good planner. I have my daily list of things that I want to accomplish, my must-dos and then my should-dos. Mm. Try to get the must-dos out of the way first. Yeah. So for you, what are the things you generally say yes to? And what are the things you generally say no to? I prefer to say yes to things that are more strategic in thought. Mm -hmm. Working on the business kind of thing. Yeah. And no to things that are more tactical. There are certain things that I want to force somebody else to make a decision Mm -hmm. with and force somebody else to go out and make some mistakes. Because it's only through your mistakes that you really learn anything. Mm, so effective delegation sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you learn that right away or did you have to fight with it like some entrepreneurs? No, no, I've been pretty good at that. 
I've always been in a leadership type position. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when you think back in sports teams, I, I seem to always be the captain of the team. So I knew how to cast a vision and how to help other people climb on board and get involved. Mm. So in order to create sort of these sort of substantial organizations, there's things that you know, every entrepreneur has to work on. What are the things that you had to work on yourself to, to take you to that next level? Probably one of my biggest hurdles to get over was worrying. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times I would just really worry too much about something. And when I came to the conclusion that this worrying, it, it's, it's not getting me anywhere, you know. My, and my wife helped me with this. She says, Greg, worrying is progress in reverse. <laughs> you know, if you're going to sit there and concentrate on what could go wrong instead of about what could go right you're going to be much better off. So, I mean, it's not something I, I, I became cured in one session. <laughs> and, and, I, and a lot of times, I mean, anytime you're leading an organization, you know this yourself. Yeah. It can be scary. It yeah. can be scary. Especially yeah. when you get close to the edge. Mm, yeah, definitely. So, yes, worrying. But does worrying sometimes help you? No? <laughs> I think, I think every entrepreneur is wired to worry <laughs> because worrying is, is playing what if. What if it yeah. happens? What if that happens? Yeah. And, and if you're not prepared for what if, because yeah. what if is going to happen. Something's yeah. always going to happen. Yeah. And the bad things usually happen pretty fast. <laughs> and the good things usually happen pretty slow. <laughs> So, you know, you got to be able to, to play what if and be prepared for when those things happen. I guess you come up with the, the contingency and then you, the, the tough part is to pack it away and forget about it once you've dealt with that contingency. Yeah. Or what's fun now is yeah. a situation will come up. Yeah. And one of my junior managers or something, they'll just get all wrapped around the axle with it. And I've, and I've probably solved this thing a half dozen times before. Sure. And the first thing, if I know it's not going to be really terminal and I, I look at it as tuition and I like, I like to let, let people solve their own problem sometimes mm. and, and not give them the answer too much yeah. and just keep an eye on them and make sure that it, they don't go over the cliff. It's okay to go in the gutter, but you can't go over the cliff. Ah, uh, that's true. So yeah, you see it coming, but maybe they'll figure it out, but they're certainly going to learn the lesson either way. You know what? If they don't figure it out and you give them the answers, they're never going to learn it. And you're going to always be the go-to person for them. And that's not good. So, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're always learning. What sort of things are you uh, currently curious about the most? Like trends or any books that you're reading? Right now, and every year I have a book of the year that I Mm, interesting management team and we have a book that we're doing right now called the leadership code and okay and what i do is every every monday uh from 11 30 till 1 i have what i call the president's meeting and it's where i have all my direct reports come in and i i buy lunch for everybody and we take the first hour and and i have my agenda and it's a formal agenda, and I use a software program called Align, which uh, helps me keep everything in alignment. It's called Align Today, and I use that to just kind of keep me on track, and I go through an hour's worth of discussions, whether it be 
staffing discussions, which there's always staffing issues. I share financial reports every month with everybody on how we did. And there, you know, there's always just a series of relevant topics that I want to talk about. And when I say what I want to talk about, you, I try not to talk. I try to, I try to facilitate questions and let everybody else fill in. But what I've found is that it, it really has brought my leadership team together. There's something about eating together and, and discussing business that just, it just works. It just works. It, people are, people don't fight over food. When, when you have food in front of you, you're just not, you know, you're just not going to fight, fight too hard, you know, in between bites. So I find that that's a, a good form. And, and after an hour, then we take the second, the last half hour, and we, we take a piece of the book and we talk about it. And what, I, what we've done is I've divided the chapters up into, okay, Ian, you're going to facilitate this chapter. Casey, you're going to do this one. Don, you're going to do this one. So they, they, wow. they study that chapter and then they facilitate it. And, and one of the things that's nice about this book is it's got a series of questions at the end. So we go through the, we go through the chapter and then we answer the questions at the end. And some, some chapters we can, we can uh, go through in a couple of weeks. Some chapters might take a month. So it, it's the book of the year. And in the process, we're all learning and learning something the same way and subscribing to it the same way. Yeah, no, that sounds good. So I'm guessing you're an avid reader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and I, I, I love reading mostly business books, motivation yeah. books, probably the best book, the Bible of the business community to yeah. is uh, Jim Collins's books, uh, Good to Great, Great by yeah. Choice. Those are just absolute classic. Patrick Licioni, I love his his material. Yeah, yeah. The the five dysfunctions of a team and stuff, other stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Let's see. I mean, is there anything that I haven't asked you, but I should have? Putting together teams... I think is the most important thing that any leader can be doing. I mean, when you get the right people in your organization, in the right position within the organization, things just take care of themselves. It's like here, you got this, I got it and get out of their way and just let them run with it. So I am always 100% of the time, my antennas are up. I'm recruiting. I'm always looking for talent, always looking for somebody they can become part of the organization. Yeah, that makes sense. The right person in the right spot. I mean, do you have a sort of a skill set or is it just an intuitive feel when you, you meet someone and then you kind of see a spot kind of visualize in or do you have more of a formal process in your mind? I have a formal screening process. Okay. Now, I, I have a pretty good, I call it my sniffer. I can sniff it out. But here's what I do. Here's what I do. I get multiple people's input. They'll go through a series of interviews with different people. We also do some testing. We're really big believers in disk profiling. And we do the trimetric, which gives you about a 75-page report on somebody. And it really accelerates the understanding, the learning process. And and here's what what we've done, too, is our business is very scaled. And, and so we have like project management people. We have estimators. We have service managers. We have construction managers, but different, different people. And what we've done is we've identified our best in class 
what's their personality profile look like? And then what we do is when we're looking for somebody in that particular area of responsibility, we'll look and say, somebody who's got a profile like this really does well at that. So let's see if we can match that. Like, like for instance, for an estimator, I want somebody who's really compliant because estimating is a process that is formula driven. I don't, we don't need a lot of creativity in accounting. In a business development type role, I'm going to be looking for somebody who's sort of an extrovert, somebody who can walk into a room and light it up and, and command attention and be able to connect with people. So, you know, just depending on what you're hiring for, what kind of profile do you want that person to be? Does it mean that only somebody with that profile could be? No, but what it does is, is it improves the odds. And here's what, here's what it is. It's odds. What are the odds that this person's going to be successful for me? Is it a 50-50 chance? I I would really like to make it an 80-20 chance that they're going to be successful. Yeah. Making good bets, right? Yeah. Yeah. Minimizing the the downside. No, it makes makes a lot of sense. Well, well, thank you, thank you. Definitely learned a lot. I, I liked your uh, story about building out your initial businesses or consolidating business. Definitely, uh, your learning on e learning was interesting, and I loved your practice of you know having uh, food together with your leadership team and and sort of breaking apart the. The goal, it sounds like you have a very collaborative and uh, fun environment to uh, work in. Yep, I I do. It's because I've got a bunch of great people around me. Great. Well, thank you so much. Okay. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.